This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. And of course, available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and the iHeartRadio website and app. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be catching up with the former General Manager of Women's Football at Carlton and now coach of Coolangatta Tweed in the QAFLW competition, Nicole Graves. Also on the way, co-founder of the sheplays.com.au website, which has the AFLW fantasy game in Nicole Blinko. We'll catch up with Alison Schiller for all the latest news on the Sandfall W competition. And Coach Kiwi is back with her kiss of death. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. First, we begin with some women's footy news coming out of New Zealand, where Mick Coulthard has been appointed as the head coach of the New Zealand Kahu. That's New Zealand senior women's footy side that'll be debuting in their first ever International Cup this July, August on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, Mick is the current head coach of the New Zealand Kahu youth girls side that plays uh, in an annual tournament against the Mornington Peninsula Nepean Football League. To the NTFL women's competition, they they have now gone into the finals phase, elimination finals and qualifying finals held over the weekend. It's a top six format and in a boil over, Pint, the sixth place side, knocked off the third place team, Palmerston, 7-5-47 to 7-3-45. Here's post-match with Katie Streeter. Wrecked, but so, so, so excited, I can barely speak. Um, <laughs> look, it was one of those games where your heart's in your throat the whole time and you know, I'm still shaking. I've been shaking since Saturday, I think, last week. And we've just had a job to do all week. We didn't do anything fancy. We just wanted to maintain what we've been building on. And so proud. We couldn't ask any more from 22 girls out there today. So we're, we're stoked. In the other elimination final, the Darwin Buffets 4-2-26 managed to hold out the Nightcliff Tigers 2-3-15. Here's Dominic Carbone. Yeah, we were pretty happy coming off with a win. Um, obviously, Nightcliff's a really well-respected team coming out as an underdog. So, um, yeah, it wasn't easy. They came out hard and, like, we came on top. Yeah. And in the qualifying final, Waratah 2-6-18 went down to the Southern District's Crocs 4-3-27. Here's Grace Mulverhill. Yeah, it was really good. The first half was a bit scrappy. Not many scores on the board, but the second half was a lot better. And our last quarter, we fought really hard to finally get the winner. And that means the semi-finals for this weekend look like this. A doubleheader on Saturday, the 29th of February at TIO Stadium, beginning with Waratah versus Pint, and then followed by Southern Districts versus the Darwin Buffets. Both games streamed live via the AFL NTV YouTube page. The winners of the semi-finals go straight through to the grand final. There is no preliminary final. Now, in case you're living under a rock somewhere over the weekend, here are the AFLW results from round three. St Kilda, 3-1-19, defeated Melbourne in an upset, 1-8-14. Here's St Kilda coach Peter Searle. Really glad to be able to get the result, um, not just for the girls themselves, but for everybody supporting us. Uh, obviously, last week a bit flat that we didn't get it done. So to be able to, to come away with a win this week against uh, Melbourne is a super effort. And I uh, really appreciate everyone's support behind us. But um, 
looking forward to, you know, looking at the review this week, getting back to work and um, keep working on things we need to get better at because uh, we've got a new game next week. In the Pride game, Carlton 8-3-51 defeated the Western Bulldogs 4-6-30. Here's Carlton forward, Taylor Harris. It was stressful, but we, were, we had it under control. We trust each other and we know that we can, we've done the work in the pre-season to be able to follow through with the whole game. At Metricon Stadium in the first ever Q clash, it was a draw between the Suns and the Lions, both sides scoring 4-4-28 apiece. Over in WA from Adel, 5-3-33, hung on against Collingwood, 4-6-30, is the Dockers Jasmine Stewart. I'm just so happy. I just think we um, played an amazing game. Trent said, you know, we were really resilient, so I think we should be really happy with ourselves. Yeah. At Blacktown International Sports Park, the Giants 6-6-42 took care of the Eagles 2-2-14. Is the Giants Jacinda Barclay? Yeah, I think we had a, a bit of clarity in our, I suppose, intent and in our attack and what we need to do. Um, we've obviously had a couple of games to warm up, and now it was just backing ourselves and trusting in our capability and putting that on the play on the park. And yeah, I think it came together quite nicely. At Icon Park, the Kangaroos 12-4-76 walloped Richmond 2-8-20. Here's the Ruse, Daisy Bateman. Yeah, stoked. We started off very slow in obviously round one and we made a, um, a promise to ourselves that every week we're going to go out relentlessly and I think we did that today, like the scoreboard reflected and the connection between the mids and the forwards was amazing today. It was a lot better than the, the previous weeks as you could probably see from the scoreboard, which is great. And in the final game of round three, Adelaide 8-1-49 defeated July. 6-2-38. Here's Adelaide forward Danielle Ponter after kicking a few on the weekend. Yeah, it's pretty lucky. Um, uh, credit to the Geelong girls. They come at us all game, but I was lucky enough to get on the end of a few there. But um, yeah, we practice it during the week and it's, it's my role to kick goals as a forward. So I'm happy that I played my role for the team today. In injury news, the toll continues to mount at the Melbourne Football Club now with Maddie Guren rupturing her left ACL in uh, Friday night's loss to St Kilda at Moorabbin. This means Melbourne only have 22 fit players to choose from at this present moment. To the AFLW match review officer, four players charged over the weekend and all have accepted their uh, sanctions, including Kate Sheila of St Kilda. She accepted a reprimand for misconduct against Eden Zanka of Melbourne. Emily Bates from the Lions accepted a reprimand for engaging in rough conduct against Leah Kasler of the Suns. Alicia Eva of the GWS Giants accepted a reprimand for engaging in rough conduct against Ashley Atkins of the Eagles. And Dana Cox of the Adelaide Crows accepted a reprimand for engaging in rough conduct against Danielle Higgins of the Cats. And in the NAB AFLW Rising Star Award nominations for round three, they are Caitlin Greiser, the G-Train from St Kilda, and Kalinda Howworth from the Gold Coast Suns. That's your latest women's footy news. And now to our featured guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast here on RSN Carnival. You may have heard her throughout the year on our VFLW coverage in 2019. She has relocated to Queensland as the head coach of the Coolangatta Tweed Blues up there in the QAFLW competition. She is a women's footy legend in Victoria and in WA. It's great to have on the line Nicole Graves. Gravesy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Pete. And in true form, I'm just uh, going home from footy training and, um, yeah, it's 28 degrees, but it's absolutely piddling down. I was about to ask, how's life on the Gold Coast? Yeah, I love it. I really love it. I'm, it's, you know, it's just really great people and, and, you know, I love being on the coast and, you know, getting down the beach and, you know, and as I said, it's just 
for me, getting back to coaching was a really important sort of life balance for, for me. So as much as I loved it in at Carlton and, and in Melbourne, you know, it's just, it was better for me, healthier for me. It's a big move, um, and I'm not just talking about moving it as state, but from what many people would think of, oh, hey, you're now in the AFLW system, you're almost at the top of the tree being a, a general manager of women's football, but instead you go back to, to coaching and go back to your roots, essentially, in state league football. Yeah, it was one of those things, and I think, you know, the opportunities, it's been and it's, you know, well-documented that the opportunities in coaching at AFLW level are, are fairly limited. Um, and it was really, you know, that's something I'm very passionate about, really wanted to to get involved with. And, um, you know, as I said, I guess my eyes lit up when, you know, my, my beloved Blues, um, you know, asked me to uh, go work for them and, and support them in, you know, in uh, resetting, I guess, you know, the team in AFLW3. And, and I, as I said, I, literally, I really enjoyed my time there and, and, um, and the people and the players and, you know, I speak to, to the CEO fairly regularly. Still, he's actually my reference on my last couple of applications up here. So yeah, so I mean, we're really good. But for me, it was I just didn't I didn't get a good life balance in in Melbourne. I was flat out working all the time, and you know, and as I said, I just really missed the coaching. And I guess I was probably still doing the same amount of hours in WA, but you know, I was working at the club that I was coaching. So I suppose it, it break that sort of down. So, yeah, so for me, it was, you know, as I said, I probably just took too much on. And, you know, it was really tough, tough going sort of mentally for me uh, back in Melbourne and, and with the hours and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, so the sea changed, to be honest, um, to come up to Queensland and get back into coaching was something that was just, just gave me a much better lifestyle. I'll, I'll actually pick up on that for a second because I recall something that Daisy Pierce said in an article about three years ago. There was a period there where she wasn't just uh, playing at Melbourne prior to them uh, coming into the AFLW and, of course, being appointed as their captain, but she was doing a lot of work uh, behind the scenes. They were training in all the different departments at the Melbourne Football Club, and she ended up walking away from it, and she said that she just couldn't handle football 24-7. Uh, are you finding that, that it's a case of, after a while, you just need to get your head clear of football and, and work on other things in life. Yeah, and I guess, you know, for me, you know, similar sort of thing. You know, I've worked um, full-time in, you know, for 25 years. And um, and I guess, you know, coming to Carlton, I said it was a dream come true, but I just I didn't sort of get myself right and I worked all the time and, and I just sort of didn't end up, you know, being the person that I wanted to be. And, and I guess I left. Um, you know, Swan District because I wanted to coach as in beef one, my job at Swan District because I wanted to coach and I wanted to concentrate on that and I suppose I went to Carlton and my passion was still to coach so, you know, and um, and yeah, and as I said, so the, in terms of the opportunity and the knowledge that I that I gained in terms of running, you know, a program as a GM at AFLW level, it, it put me in really good stead to be a better coach um, as well. So, you know, knowing that elite system and being given the opportunity that I had at the Blues um, to set that program up and, and work with, um, you know, work with an AFL club was extremely important in my development as a coach. So to be able to come up here and implement that at QAFLW level has been, you know, really good for me and, and you know, really good for, for, the, uh, for the Cooley girls as well. Now, moving from Victoria, why the state of Queensland? And I'll take away the obvious 
a part of that's warm during winter. But obviously, <laughs> when I think about warmer climate, there's the choice of Queensland and also the choice of the Northern Territory because we know that you worked with a lot of uh, uh, Indigenous women when you were there in WA. What stood out about Queensland and wanting to work within that competition? Um, well, I think it was really just the opportunity, you know, the two AFL licences up here and the amount of young um, players coming through and giving that, you know, giving that opportunity to, to so many more players to be able to reach the, you know, the upper level. It sort of really then inspires the next level, which is obviously the state league level that I'm coaching at. So it makes um, had a real challenge as a coach because the players really, they're part of the pathway. They, they're really committed to be able to get to that next level. So that was really, you know, an important part of the coaching environment. But for me, obviously, I've got a lot of good friends up here. Um, you know, myself and Leah Kessler, who's obviously now the coach in the Sun. Um, you know, we've been best mates by coach here in WA and we play at, at state level. And, and so, yeah, so it was a really good opportunity for me to, to have a good um, group of people around me um, that was supporting me and supporting my football and, and supporting me as well. So, yeah, that's been really important um, for me personally and then obviously being able to sort of share that, I guess, with a whole another generation and another whole group of, of state league players. So, yeah, so I, as I said, I really love it here. My best mates moved over here as well. So, yeah, she's up on the sunny coast. So it's, it's just sort of all happened at the right time. And as I said, probably in terms of Queensland and WA, the similarities in the way that they play and the game style, but also, you know, I guess, you know, the environment and, you know, the, I guess it's just a lot more chilled out. And that's probably, you know, where I fit better in terms of that sort of, um, you know, just the, the, the whole environment, the whole state. You know, just a little bit more relaxed up here, mate. And zeroing in a bit more of a narrow focus to why you chose the Coolangatta Football Club, of course, you did a little bit of assistant coaching for them in the second half of last year. Obviously, there's eight clubs there to choose from. You've got the choice of the more established clubs, which, of course, you went to Cooley, and I think of clubs like Yoronga and Cooparoo is more established. You've got the newer teams in the competition, such as Maroochydore, Apsley and Bond University. How did the initial contact come to for you to join Coolangatta? Uh, yeah, well, I guess, again, it, it, it comes actually back to Luna Kessler again. She actually, her and uh, her friend Lauren James started the Coolangatta uh, Blues women's team well, quite a few years ago, five, six years ago now. And so every time I used to come up and, and see the girls, I'd always take a training session and, you know, sort of be around that. So, yeah, when the opportunity came up, when I finished at Carlton, you know, last April to come up here and, and coach some games with Matt Bedford, who's um, one of the assistants at, at the Sun, um, I, you know, jumped on that opportunity. And with Beto going, you know, concentrating on the Sun's work, it, it opened up an opportunity for me to, to coach, um, you know, I guess outright at Cooley. And, and Beto will come back, ironically, as one of the assistant coaches uh, when AFLW is up. But, you know, AFLW does take a huge amount of your time. So it was definitely, you know, Beto was relieved because he's a passionate, caring coach of these girls. So he was relieved he had someone to take over and support. And he could go and, you know, pursue his pathway coaching and then, you know, and then come back when it was time. So we've been able to put together a really good coaching group. You know, I've got six assistant coaches uh, um, with me at Cooley and, and four of those are women. 
So I'm really proud of being able to promote and provide opportunities for for women to get you know get more exposure to, to coaching. And you know, I'm really lucky to have those people around me and a couple of Ripper fellas in there as well. So you know, we've been able to replicate a really good uh, level program. You know, with the knowledge that I gained at Carlton on setting up a really good program and some really good staff around the players so that they understand what it takes and what it is at the next level uh, and to get to the next level. So, yeah, so that's, you know, my link with, with calling out of Sweden. It's certainly helpful, Pete, that we wear the navy blue jumpers with the, uh, I'll say the calling out of blues logo, but also the Carlton logo on it and uh, and the same team song. So I haven't had to change too much. I've actually been able to use, some, you know, use most of my uniform uh, similarly as well. So... Yeah, so it's all, it's all worked out nicely for me, mate. Let's talk about how the resources are like at a QAFLW club. You've had, obviously, the experience of being in Victoria, particularly the early days of women's football when there was, you know, you're lucky to get a jumper that actually would fit you compared to going over to WA, of course, when Swan Districts were attached to uh, the men's club, who, of course, with a long history in the WAFL competition. Where does Queensland women's football sit in the type of resources it's able to give women's football from a club perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and as I said, it's, it's been a real education for me knowing the Victorian system, uh, you know, the West Australian system, now the Queensland system. And, and, you know, it is, in terms of the competition and stuff, they're really, you know, they are well organised. The competition's, you know, really well run up here. And, you know, um, but in terms of the club, there's, I guess there's the haves and the have-nots. And trust me, I've definitely come to the blue collar. Blue Collar Workers Club. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess our cross-town rivals down here on the coast uh, is Bond University. So you can imagine what the university facilities look like. Um, and so, yeah, so we quite often have a deal with the four cousins uh, in terms of facilities and everything. But, um, you know, so it's a little bit different in terms of facilities here. But, you know, we've just been given a, a half a million dollar grant um, uh, which they actually announced well later, but we've just had the announcement of that this week um, for brand new change rooms for, for the women, um, you know, because the girls are here. We have a really strong junior girls program with under 12s, under uh, sorry, under 13s, under 15s, and under 17s, and then obviously the two senior sides with the seniors and the resis. Um, yeah, so that's been really good. I'm actually getting our ground refurbished as well, so. Uh, like, you know, after this season's uh, finished, we won't get the benefit of it this year. But, um, yeah, so in terms of that, there's a lot more government money being poured into Queensland women's footy and, and the government also poured in money to the Suns and the refurb of um, their change room. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I guess it's, it's moving really quickly. And as I said, that's how important the two franchises, um, as AFLW franchises are up, up here in terms of the development of the competition and facilities and, and everything like that. And I guess because footy, you know, a lot of the clubs up here, you know, are older clubs, um, but a lot of them are new clubs. And, you know, the, the facility up at Door and stuff are just fantastic, you know. They're just brilliant. And, and Southport Sharks, who play in the um, first division women, so the grade under us. I mean, Southport Sharks are actually hosting the AFLW game up here in round seven. So... Yeah, so this is definitely in terms of facilities, the haves and the have-nots. But, um, you know, I don't mind being the blue collar, um, kicking it around there. We will have... Uh, so, yeah, so at the moment we're still um, dealing with, you know, crappy toilets, um, group showers and 
shitty urinals around the place. But, um, uh, you know, we, we're definitely on the move with, um, you know, with the grant to rebuild and they'll start that um, facility uh, in the next couple of weeks, actually. Let's talk about the club using you in a marketing sense to bring in new players to the side in a variety of ways. A, through the contacts that you have through women's football about friends that want to play alongside your team, but also from the point of, for those that may not know you, but all of a sudden see your name attached to that you used to be a Carlton and obviously a long history of women's football. Um, how many recruits have you been able to bring in towards Coolangatta and how does the side compare to last year? You know, it's interesting, Pete. I'd like to say that they're all there because, you know, I'm such a, you know, such a super coach. But, yes, I, I, I guess my name could attract some and then probably detract some. It's hard to tell. But, um, you know, what's, what's most important is, one, you know, we're all developing coaches and we never stop learning. So you know, it's been a great environment for me to continue to learn, you know, my craft. But in terms of the players, you know, I guess they always told me, I guess I got a bit nervous. I'm so used to, I guess, at Swans and then at Carlton where players, you know, are always at training and they're up and about and, you know, you're not sort of, you know, making those phone calls to get players to play. Whereas the Queensland way, as they tell me, is, don't worry, Gravy, it'll be right. They'll they'll come, they'll come. So, yeah, pre, you know, early pre-season with the early season starting was obviously a bit of a shock. And I think all the QAFLW clubs had a bit of a nervous sort of start because we obviously all started pre-season earlier and, and the season starting literally this week, so starting in February rather than starting in, you know, sort of late mid to late April as, as normal. So that's been an interesting thing. But uh, as I said, having just got off the track with, you know, with 40 girls at training, uh, you can certainly tell we're up and around, um, you know, near round one. And, and what's been really nice, I guess, Cooley and Gatta last year struggled in terms of their numbers for their I guess their reserve grade, or it's called development, um, the development league up here. Um, and, you know, so that was, it was really important to get really that critical mass of numbers there. So what we've been able to do is, is yeah, really recruit. And we're right down south, so cool and get a, for those in Melbourne, we're only sort of 10K off the border. In fact, the back of our ground is, uh, 500 metres from the back of our ground is New South Wales. Um, so I literally drive 10 minutes from my place to, to the footy club and I drive through New South Wales um, getting off the exit and as I get off the exit I drive back into Queensland and, and then I'm in Queensland time which is which is all a bit interesting particularly because we're in two different time zones so obviously Queensland doesn't have daylight savings so we look, my phone turns over for five minutes um, every day into New South Wales time while I'm on my way to training so some interesting um, barriers to that. So we recruit a lot of our players from the, what they call the Northern Rivers. So the Tweed, so they're calling out a Tweed part of our club. So I've got players coming up from Ballina. So Ballina's, you know, good two and a half, three hours. Um, we good two and a half hours drive. Uh, Lismore, Byron Bay. Um, so Byron Bay and Lismore are sort of, you know, half hour, 40 minutes from, from Cooley. So, yeah, so um, one... It's always good to recruit there too. It's always good to drive down there for a weekend. So that's been a nice change. Um, so, yeah, so we've really concentrated on the young players through the Northern Rivers zone and around our area and rather than sort of more south, more north Gold Coast area, which is then, you know, as you say, sort of Southport, um, you know, Shepherd's Paradise and such all the way up to sort of Brizzy there. So, you know, we're actually an hour south of Brizzy. 
down where we are. So, yeah, so we've sort of concentrated and tried to recruit around that space and around our area to make it sort of easier on players. And we've found some real, some absolute rippers. So, um, yeah, I'm stoked with our, our playing group. And I think we're going to, you know, I think we'll, we'll really develop and grow well. And I think we'll, you know, certainly rattle a few more cages, you know, this season than we did last. Talking about the, the Northern Rivers, uh, one player you picked up from uh, Lismore, a runner-up in the BNF, uh, Beck Brooks. Yeah, Lismore, I don't know whether they love or hate me because I actually, I think we took their captain, their best and fairest, and their runners-up best and fairest, so that was a bit harsh of me. But um, they obviously play in a whole um, other division of footy down there. So, yeah, so, um, you know, for girls that want to be in the pathway, it's really important that, you know, the, the pathway is through their QAFLW club. So we've been able to get some really good players from down there and they've been great contributors and, and really enjoying the environment and learning lots. So that's been been fantastic. And of course, like like all good uh, women's teams, we have all our hosts of cross coders. So we don't have a we don't we're not recruiting from Ireland or anything at this level, but we're certainly recruiting from other sports. So now I've got a WNBL an ex WNBL player in Casey Samuels that played that played obviously in uh, New South in Sydney. Um, and so she's up here um, you know, uh, applying her new craft, applying her height, I should say, to her, to her new sport. So she's been an absolute ripper. And um, uh, Whitney Knight is a you know uh, ex uh, uh, W League soccer player. You know, a lot of touch players and rugby players that come out of um, Queensland. So it gives you a really good diversity of players. And all those sports obviously have provided AFLW with some significantly good players, um, you know, cross-code players, and we're certainly seeing that at, at state level. You actually picked up a player from uh, Victoria with some VFLW experience in uh, Jess Malauf. Yeah, well, Jess is obviously a, she's a Queenslander and was down with me at Carlton playing VFL footy and has come back up the coast here. So Jess was actually a coolie girl before I was. So, yeah, so she's come home to play. And, again, you know, having players that have been in that VFLW system... Yeah, you really notice, um, you know, the differences of QAFLW to VFLW in terms of, again, the resources being most of them at AFL, at AFL clubs. But certainly the players that have been there, um, you know, really understand what it takes to um, prepare at this level, you know, and prepare to be elite. So, you know, having those players come in is really important to, I guess, teach players that haven't probably, you know, in terms of, you know, getting on the rollers and the resistance bands and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, pre-training and, you know, and Jess supported us with, um, you know, some boxing programs and stuff because she has a boxing um, background similar to Tay Harris. So, you know, they're good boxing mates, those two. So, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of linkages, um, you know, in women's footy and, and I guess, you know, that's been the bonus. But, yeah, certainly the recruiting zone of, you know, a few Victorians, uh, up here and, and New South Wales girls and then again, you know, the good um, crew, I guess the good core group that, that Cool and Gatter had, um, you know, all those with, you know, some absolute absolute young, ripping players that have come out of the, um, you know, the Suns Academy programs and, and State, we actually had the State 18 coach down at training tonight because um, we have a lot of, uh, you know, young 17, 16, 17 year olds that are in that um, environment that'll play QAFLW for you this season. So yeah, it's, yeah. Again, it's really inspiring, and I'm just really, really stoked to be around it. It's um, certainly um, 
got me up and about and reinvigorated about footy again. It's great to hear that you're reinvigorated with your footy. Now, something that may have reinvigorated you, maybe in a panic, is that start of the early season. February 29, this weekend, the season kicks off instead of the traditional start, which would have been uh, somewhere in April. Uh, From a coaching point of view, what have you had to do to your program, considering such a short pre-season? Did you have to shrink it and just speed things up? Did things have to be left out simply because just time wasn't available? Well, interesting enough, um, Pete, we still started earlier than AFLW, so it's, you know that you know when we talk about you know the the preparation time to get footballers ready to play, you know we still started two weeks before AFLW, and we we start playing three weeks after them, so you can sort of see the comparison there that you know how much more time and you know to support, develop, and and get players ready um, that we've got even in comparison to the elite level, so. You know, so for me, I guess it was something um, that I was actually quite used to being at being at Carlton last year, and and you know the the short amount of time that you get with players, and and you know I guess we're not as restricted um, with CBAs and stuff in terms of the hours that we spend with players. So our players are able to you know get together and do um, extra sessions when they need to, and you know been able to get some really good um, sponsors on board in terms of you know in terms of their you know their physical training with gymnasiums and, and rigs, which is one of the big rehabilitation um, places up here, um, sponsoring us this year too. So we've been able to really set a really elite sort of environment for the players. And as I said, just using those resources to get good equipment that, you know, gets their bodies right and, and you know, and bringing in strength and conditioning staff um, that are taking them through all their prehab and ACL warm-ups and stuff. So, you know, it's really important that we still uh, set the environment and, you know, set the right environment because it doesn't matter what level of the game you are, injuries are still part of it. And and if you can, you know, set up a really strong program around um, your pre-season but also around your prehab and your training and your post-game and post-training stuff, you really still set the players up to be, you know, to be able to, you know, play every week and, and be up and about and, you know, and deliver, you know, the game plan and, and, and ultimately, you know, play really good good footy for themselves because at the end of the day, I'm here to help them get to where they want to go. Uh, and that's, you know, to AFLW level and, and obviously our young kids in the state programs and, and academy programs and ultimately at AFLW level. So that's really where I see my role at, at state level is to ensure that we set these, yeah, young women and girls up to be the best they can be and, and put good people around them so that they're, um, you know, they can reach their potential. You had a practice game on the weekend before leading into the season opener. What was your thoughts coming out of it and uh, who performed well in your books? Yeah, yeah, we played um, Yeah, we played a pre-match to obviously the Suns and, and Richmond last week. They're out on the, out on the other ground at Metricon, so that was... That was really good to play on, you know, a beautiful, beautiful ground like that. So that was awesome for the girls. I'm very excited about that. And we talk about the rivalry down here with Bond University. So we took on Bond and they were in the grand final last year. So, you know, really good practice match for us to see where where our improvement was and where we can continue to improve. Um, and, and knowing, obviously, them similar. They have a lot of AFLW players and we have a handful. So... Certainly, they'll they'll be a different. A lot of teams will be very different. Come sort of midway, later part of the year, as some of those AFLW players 
roll back. But, yeah, no, I was really pleased. And, again, some of those names that I spoke about with, you know, those new players are really um, good. You know, Casey playing in the ruck was, you know, Casey Samuels in the ruck was, was excellent. And, you know, we're still also balancing the fact that our AFLW girls roll back um, if not selected by the Suns or the Lions. So in that game, we actually had uh, we actually had four AFLW girls, three roll back from the Suns and, and one from the Lions. So you're still fitting those girls in around your players as well, which is really important for leadership for your new players. But, you know, when you when you can get out there and, and you're not noticing the AFLW girls uh, as much, um, you know, they're not as super standout as perhaps perhaps they were in, in the in the previous years, you really know that, you know, these girls are now starting to close the gap between State League and AFLW, although not obviously physically necessarily prepared as them, but certainly in the way that they're playing the game and learning the game. So, you know, generally, you know, it was a really good hit out for a lot of our players. Um, you know, probably won't use a lot of names, but, you know, in terms of um, in terms of those sort of Generally, our our young kids really to be able to blood our young kids, I guess in a in a senior game before the season starts, really important. So they were, you know, they were really um, really good. And uh, and yeah, and, and as I said, it's been a lot of change um, for our players in terms of the way that we structure up um, and you know develop their footy knowledge and the way that we move the footy. So it's a very very different uh, cool and get a. Um, blues than it was probably in the previous years and I think the girls have really really relished that and you know and are going to you know deliver ultimately you know a much better brand of footy and hopefully that brand of footy is a successful brand. Since you're a relatively new coach in the Queensland football scene um, what has the contact been like with the Lions and Suns? Have they obviously been speaking to you about what role their AFLW players play when they come back to state league level and also are they picking your brains about potential recruits they should be looking at for the winter series that they'll have coming up and then of course obviously when the draft rolls around in October? Uh, yeah, so I know it's, um, yeah, I speak to well, I obviously have relationships with both Sars and Lakey. I didn't know Lakey until I um, got up here, but um, you know he's an absolute ripper, and a really you know both those coaches that you know they're both coaches that you know build relationships with players, and that's very much their strength, and, and that's something that I really admire about both those guys, and certainly something that I you know sort of I guess am part of in terms of my coaching as well. So. Yeah, so it's been really good to, um, you know, build relationships with those guys and obviously staff and I are at Bulldogs together through the exhibition. And so, yeah, so, you know, we obviously touch base and, and you know, we get those phone calls. Um, they're phone calls that you don't necessarily want to have because it means that, you know, players are being dropped um, from AFL uh, W level. So it's, it's always hard those players so you know the, obviously the coaches and the development coaches and the and the GMs ring me and they say right these players are not playing um, and then so we have a list of those and then the development coaches or the senior coaches speak to me about what roles that they would like to see those players in and and as I said that's our job to make sure we help them get back in, onto the AFLW list so um, you know we I play them in the roles that they um, that they need to be played, and um, and we also discuss maybe some of the things that they want them to work on, so that we're able to support them and help them with that. Um, and yeah, so they come back and 
pull on the cooler jumper. And, and as I said, it's a really tough, tough gig for them because it's, I guess, it's disappointing at, at one stage, but they also need to step up and, and um, you know, be leaders and, and be mentors for, I guess, that state league while they're there, but also step up in their own game so they give their best chance to, to get back. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of those relationships, you know, we're talking and emailing and texting and all the different communication tools we have with all those guys. And then post-game, obviously, we provide um, any footage we have and I provide feedback, written feedback to the coaches about how those players played. Um, again, just you know, supporting those players to be able to give them the best opportunity to to get back into the you know into the Suns or the Lions team. So yeah, so in terms of that sort of stuff, in terms of the guys asking me about you know any of our any of our players, I guess at the moment it's not really relative um, because they're obviously in season. But so I imagine that's going to be a lot of conversations, um, you know, post AFLW season when they're looking. Uh, at players coming into the 2021 season, so yeah, so but again, we provi- we provide uh, you know I do written feedback on all the players every week, so you know we've got lots of feedback on that. We we're not GPS or anything like that at, at, at this level as yet. Um, so yeah, so there's not a great deal of data, but we do all the testing, so we provide that for the AFL clubs when when requested. So everything we try to do, we try to do to make make it. You know, so that those players get the best opportunity to, as I said, be considered for, you know, for the academy, be considered for state teams, be considered for, you know, draft when we get down to the other end of the season. But, you know, those coaches will be up and around and watching all the games, you know, throughout the time. So there's no doubt there'll be plenty of dialogue between myself and and Lakey and staff, um, you know, in the season proper when those guys have... It finishes pretty crazy time for um, AFLW uh, people at the moment, so I certainly leave just leave them alone and make sure that um, you know we'll, we'll have plenty of conversations post that in regards to players coming up. But there's no doubt that there's players in every team that have certainly been pushing for selection at AFLW level, and I reckon there's a good you know and now a good good half a dozen of that are definitely um, uh, at that level um, to be selected you know, uh, come come the future. So now it's up to them to develop themselves and develop their footy and me to support them and our coaches to support them to, you know, to achieve that. And finally, before we let you go, you were actually at Metricon Stadium on the weekend uh, for the Q clash between the Lions and the Suns, which ended in a draw. Uh, how was the atmosphere leading up to the event and uh, and coverage in the media, particularly in southeast Queensland? Obviously, we don't uh, get to see it that much down here in our Victorian bubble. And uh, what was the crowd and atmosphere like on, on match day? And uh, what has, I guess, the Queensland football public taken away from that game? Yeah, it's interesting, Pete. Um, you know, obviously, being in the Melbourne, we speak about all the different bubbles. Being in the Western Australian bubble, where I guess it wasn't probably, um, you know, it wasn't probably, the media wasn't on it hugely. So, obviously, now the Dockers having some success and the Eagles in, so there's obviously a lot more around that. So, then going to the juggernaut that is the, the Melbourne media in terms of football and what you see of it. And then up here, I was like, well, this will be interesting to see how it goes. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, let me tell you, I'm pretty sick of seeing Leo Kasler's face on the back and front page of the paper nearly every day. So, um, yeah, so we always have a bit of a laugh. It doesn't matter where I pick up the paper. So the Queensland media has been fantastic 
in terms of, you know, it's the Suns and the Lions, and obviously I'm down the coast, so I get all the coast newspapers more than up there. But, you know, literally the, the Gold Coast media around the, the Suns is, has been phenomenal. I've just been amazed at the amount of um, coverage that they have out of the stories that are going in there. And, and even at QAFLW level, you know, myself and uh, then the Bond coach, we have celebrity tippers in the in the Gold Coast Bulletin. So we're sort of, we have our own little battles each week in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of our tips of AFLW. Just quietly, I picked seven last week, Pete. So I was on the St Kilda bandwagon. Don't worry about that. So Pete, thanks, Pete Steele. Thanks very much for getting me the clean sweep. So yeah, so in terms of the media, they're there. And the QAFLW, um, again, being down here, plenty of media around. Um, the QAFLW teams, particularly, obviously, Cool and Gatter and Bond, being the two um, teams down this way. So it's been really quite impressive leading up to it. And then, obviously, the game was brilliant. And I guess, you know, the draw, we sort of say it's like dancing with your sister, isn't it? But um, when you get a draw, there's sort of everyone, there's a bit of a lull. But in terms of the crowd, I guess it didn't offend anyone. And I was sitting with mates that had their Lions jumpers on and their Suns jumpers on and, um, you know, as again, I live with Leah Caslis, so I certainly had the barracks for the Suns. Um, and so otherwise I'd be kicked out of the house. So yeah, so it's really important that, um, you know, the, that, you know, it was a really good game. And I guess the Lions have had it over the Suns in all their games, you know, through the winter series up until this point. So, you know, I guess it's, it's disappointing for the Suns not to come out with a win, but I guess, you know, I guess for them it shows the continual um, development and um, of their group and, and to, you know, and Brisbane are on fire, you know, two wins and they've had a superb start to it. You know, they've got an absolutely ripping team that, you know, everyone really, I guess, footy public really undervalued, but um, they're certainly paying attention now. So Stars have got the girls up and about and there's some real, there's some absolute rippers that have come out of the Queensland system up here that, that the Lions have got and certainly the Suns have got. So, yeah, ultimately the day was, you know, a bit like, oh, but, you know, for the two Queensland teams and the Queensland public, you know, and, and getting people interested in the game, when the two Queensland teams are actually a draw and no one loses, I guess it's a bonus. So, yeah, for us it was fantastic. And the last two games, obviously, Richmond game last week was, uh, you know, to be able to see the Suns, you know, win their first historic AFLW game was just brilliant. And the girls were so excited and certainly made a much happier house. Uh, here with um, a couple of the Suns girls living living around this place as well. So yeah, so um, yeah, so that's been a real bonus. And and as I said, it's it's really good for Queensland footy seeing how successful the Lions are going and and Suns, you know, with one and a half wins now, it's you know fantastic. But I will pull you up on one thing. How did you tip seven out of seven when there was a draw? Well, I'm, I'm just going, though, evens, evens, two points is four points, isn't it, Pete? <laughs> I'm calling that a zero. I'm calling that you, that you don't get points for a draw. Oh, I reckon everyone gets points for a draw, Pete. But as I said, in the tipping, it'll be okay. So I'll, I'll tell you next week when the results come out whether they gave me one or whether they gave me none. <laughs> but either way, it's a win because then no one either got it either way, did they? But as I said, it was, uh, yeah, I, was I was stoked for... Um, Pete Bell, and as much as I, you know, I'm a Darabin girl, as, as Pete is as well, and uh, and love watching Melbourne play and, and Daisy and Paxi and the crew down there. It was really nice to see to see Pete and her girls, um, you know, come out with a win and such important one at 
you know, at their home ground in front of their home crowd. And, and obviously, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of Carlton girls there in Ree Watt and Tilly Lucas Rod that, um, you know, I'm stoked for them as well that, you know, they've, they're at a new club and really playing great footy. So, yeah, so, you know, I've got, I guess, I've got soft spots for so many of the AFLW clubs because of all the players, I guess, we know as individuals. So, you know, it's always good to watch all the games because there's plenty of people we know and, you know, that we've been involved with their footy journey. So, you know, so I'm just, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for, for, I guess, women's footy that, you know, it's really balancing out nicely. Well, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best with your time up there in Queensland, coaching Gatter Tweed, including this weekend, round one, 1 p.m. local time on Saturday at Bond University when you take on the Bull Sharks. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I appreciate that, and let's uh, let's hope it's a positive outcome. Don't go anywhere. We've got more of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival coming up right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. Still to come, we've got our cited question of the week. Alison Schiller's going to drop by with the latest from the Sanford Women's Competition. Coach Kiwi with her kiss of death. But now let's talk some fantasy football. Joining us now here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival is the creator of a site called She Plays. It's all about fantasy sport, in particular women's soccer. But this year they've evolved into covering the AFLW competition. And despite little publicity, already a number of people have signed on board to start playing the game. It's an area which, surprisingly, the AFL hasn't exploited yet. And it's great to see that sheplays.com.au has taken it up. And we've got on the line from She plays.com.au in Nicole Blinko. Nicole, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Peter. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you on the line. And first of all, congratulations in uh, taking part, I guess, in your first season of AFLW with uh, a fantasy sports twist. Yeah, thank you. It's been very exciting. I've been following the AFLW at a distance for a few seasons, but I'm happy to be jumping in and learning more about it by, by covering it through She Plays. Now, before we talk about the AFLW part of the site, can you explain how She Plays first began? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the origins are in soccer. Uh, my friends and I are, are soccer supporters and in particular supporters of the W League. And um, one season we were keen to play a fantasy league, the W League, and we realised that it didn't exist. So we thought we'd make our own, which we did. Um, we ran it on a spreadsheet for the first season. Then we uh, opened it up to the public and ran it on a very rudimentary website. Um, and then last year, uh, we recruited one of our friends, um, Rory, who's a web developer, and he built us a beautiful website um, to make everything all automated and lovely. And we ran a competition for the Women's World Cup in, um, in June, July last year. 
So from there, um, it's just sort of exploded and we've started covering uh, the Women's Super League, which is the professional women's soccer league in England. Uh, we're covering the W League again this season and we've just branched out into AFLW a few weeks ago. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind the last uh, six months or so. <laughs> We know your AFLW uh, element only popped up literally in the days before the uh, uh, opening game yes. of season 2020. Um, when and how did the conversation come about to take it from just being um, a strictly soccer w- women's soccer website to covering women's Australian football? Um, honestly, it's always been something that we've wanted out of the site. So we never wanted to be exclusively a soccer website. That's just where we started because it's where we're most comfortable and where we feel we know the most. But we always wanted to cover AFLW. So um, it was, you know, a, a year or two ago that the conversation would have started, but not until recently that we felt we were ready. Um, and we've got a lot of great people on our team. So myself and Ben, who created the, the site, and then a whole lot of other um, experts in soccer. But we didn't have anyone who was an expert in AFLW. So we actually did a bit of digging around on the internet and we found a couple of um, AFLW fantasy leagues that already existed. Um, they weren't on a sort of dedicated fantasy site like ours, but they were. Uh, there was a couple on Reddit and there was one on Supercoach Talk um, run by the Salamander. I don't know if you might have heard of that, but um, they were running for a couple of seasons before us, um, sort of a, a very simple fantasy league, but with quite a sophisticated scoring system. So we reached out to the people from those Reddit leagues and from Supercoach Talk and we sort of recruited them onto our team and said, hey, would you like to run your fantastic fantasy league on our site with all our features um, that we can offer? And they were very happy to join us and we were very happy to have them. So now we've sort of assembled this dream team of AFLW fantasy experts um, to help us run it on our site. Can you give us an idea about the number number of people behind the scenes that actually run it week to week to get everything going from just simply coding the website to obviously having to keep account of the scores, who, what player is worth what value and obviously to make sure no one's cheating the system or anything like that? Yeah, so um, it's become quite a big team now. We've probably got, on the soccer side, 10 to 15 people running it or participating, not all at once because we're all volunteers and we've all got lots of other things to do, but um, that's how many people we've probably got around the place. And on the on the AFLW side, um, so we've got myself and Ben and Rory who sort of started the site, but then we've recruited um, Jack and Em who are both doing a great job sort of um, both on the social media side and also on that school calculating side. And we've got um, we've got three others. We've got Luke Logan and Nathaniel who've been helping out as well with the player database and just um, with advice and tips here and there. So we've probably got uh, eight people at any one time, sort of working on the AFLW side of things. Um, it's it's quite a lot of hours of work uh, keeping the website up to date, um, but between all of us, we we manage okay. <laughs> Are you surprised to see 162 teams on the site considering the very little publicity you were able to get to kick off this season, which essentially you've only been going for about three and a half weeks? Yeah, yeah. It's always a crazy rush at the last minute. We always have these grand plans about launching months in advance, but um, daily life gets in the way. So, yeah, we did launch quite late. So we're happy to see so many people jump on board at the last minute and be ready to select their teams and, and get going. Um, we were hoping for more, I think, uh, originally when we when we anticipated having a bigger lead up. But I'm happy to see this many people participating, and I hope that 
as more people find out about us and as the seasons go on, we'll get more and more interest. I think there's a, there's a lot of people out there who would be interested who just might not have heard of us. So, no, it's really great. I'm, we're loving the participation and we're loving chatting to people on social media and, and just sort of becoming part of the AFLW community. Let's talk about women's fantasy sports, in particular the AFLW and its adoption by mainstream media because we, we see on the AFL men's side, you've got the official AFL website's version, you've got uh, the Herald Sun's version with the super coach, you've got uh, you know a lot of fantasy sport happening around men's sport, even going into cricket, even horse racing, but perplexingly yeah. the AFLW, despite... The coverage from Channel 7 and Fox and um, the AFL's own website and mainstream broadcasters, no one's stepped into the fantasy sports area. Are you surprised by that? Um, yes and no. Am I surprised that there's no AFLW fantasy? No, but that's because I'm not really aware of many, if any, uh, sort of women's fantasy leagues anywhere in Australia or the world. So it's, it's not unusual at all for a professional women's sporting league not to have a fantasy league associated with it. I think there's a handful that I know of, but they're very hard to come by. So um, there's not any that we know of for soccer. There's not any for um, the, the AFLW. There's, there's not any for other sports around the world that are sort of in a, an official capacity. There's a lots of people who are offering sort of spreadsheet leagues or, or casual leagues, but there's none that are actually offered by the sporting organisation. So, um, surprise, yes and no. <laughs> I think that um, that women's sport is experiencing a, a very large period of growth at the moment, and I'm really excited by that. And I hope that um, some of these these sporting leagues will actually pick up this idea and run their own official fantasy leagues someday. We've always said to ourselves, if, if that happens and they sort of they become our competition in that sense, then we'll be happy as anything because it'll take a load off us. We won't have to run it anymore and it'll be there offered for the fans. So we will have, we will have done our job. So we'd be happy, we'd be really happy if, um, if all the leagues started doing this. From your point of view, how much of a both promotional and educational tool for a sport is the fantasy sports element to it? Oh, I mean, we think it's really fantastic and that's, that's why we love doing this so much is, um, I mean, when you're a, a fan of a league, you tend to have a favourite team or a couple of favourite players and you'll follow them and you'll watch those matches. Um, but if you have a fantasy team, you have players from, from every club and you'll be interested in the outcome of every game because, because all those players are scoring points for you in every match that they play. So um, it really, we find it, it really increases people's engagement in the whole league rather than just the, the club that they're interested in. And we got really positive feedback, um, especially during the World Cup um, Fantasy League that we ran last year. We did a bit of an exit survey and we sort of asked people, you know, did playing this league help you to be more engaged with the results of the World Cup? And it was resoundingly yes. Everyone who participated said, yes, absolutely, I watched more of the World Cup than I would have otherwise. And so I think Fantasy League's a really great way to... To provide a way for fans to engage at a deeper level in, in the players, the individual players and the results of each match. You've talked about the Women's World Cup and the soccer side of things. Of course, we normally strictly stay with Australian football. But can you give us a bit of an insight into the support that you had on the soccer side of things and, and the amount of teams and players signing up where we could hopefully get to or even surpass when it comes to AFLW numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think there's 
huge potential um, for growth in, in this sort of thing. Uh, the World Cup, we were so surprised and so overwhelmed, actually, with the amount of interest we had. Um, I think over 2,000 teams in the end um, signed up to, to play the Fantasy League. Um, and so that, and that was a, a worldwide competition that um, we had, yeah, huge interest, not just from Australia, not just even from the UK or the US, but lots of other places as well. Um, and I think that uh, in Australia, AFLW has actually a, a larger following, a larger attendance than even the W League and, and soccer. So I think the potential for, for growth for the AFLW fantasy competition is huge. Where do you see that growth happening? What, what are your future plans when it comes to the side, in particular for AFLW? Um, I think it, it takes a bit of time um, for, to, to make people aware of what we're doing. Uh, so we're sort of, we're, we're on Twitter, we're, we're on other social media a bit, but there's, there's lots of fans out there who are, are not going to know about us or where we are. So word of mouth is a big thing. Um, doing things like this is great for, for getting people aware of what we're doing. And just time, being, being in the community for a longer period of time um, really helps. So we've, we've experienced that growth with the soccer and we're hoping that the longer we spend doing this with AFLW, the, the more people will hear about us and the more people will give it a go. And what has the feedback been in particular from the players about what they've liked or want to see improved in your system? Um, generally, the, the feedback is good. I think this is the first time that they've had a platform with this level of sort of sophistication that they can in, um, interact with. So previously, when it's been run on spreadsheet league, they sort of have to enter their team and they don't get to make changes throughout the season um, and that kind of thing. Our site, you can sort of make dynamic changes to your team and you get a, a picture, like a formation picture with your team on it and you can check the leaderboard every week to see where you stand. So those kind of features, uh, I think people really enjoy. But there are always other features that we can add that will get people even more excited about it. So we're looking at, uh, for example, doing head-to-head leagues in the future where people can compete um, one-on-one each week against another team, um, doing a variable pricing throughout the season. So the player prices change depending on the demand for the player and their performance and things like that. Um, so there's there's lots more that we can do. And also, you know, this is our first season doing the AFLW and there have been a few technical glitches. So we've sort of ironed them out over the first couple of weeks and, Hopefully it's smooth sailing from there. So there's there's plenty of room for improvement on our side and we're hoping to keep making this site bigger and better um, to attract more people. And finally, just before we let you go, either on the soccer side or the footy side, though I'd probably expect it to be less on the AFLW side because it's only been running for about uh, three weeks, but have you had any footballers themselves on the quiet reach out to you, you know, almost uh, trying to hint, well, how many people have picked me to play in their side? <laughs> Actually, no one's asked us that specific question. Um, we do get a little bit of interaction. So every week we post who the top performers are that week and we get a little bit of love from the players when they, they see themselves in, in the top. Um, but no, we haven't had anyone ask that specific question and we, uh, we, should, we should publish more of that information, I think, who are the, who are the most popular picks because it's not always the top performers. Um, sometimes it, it surprises you. So, yeah. Maybe uh, later we'll, we'll release a bit of a sort of top 10 most popular AFLW players or something like that. Well, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. And we wish you all the very best throughout 2020 in the running of sheplays.com.au forward slash 
AFLW. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Cider.co. You got any more questions? Question of the week. This Friday sees Collingwood take on Melbourne in round four of the AFLW at Marble Stadium. The game was originally fixtured for Victoria Park, but was moved to the Docklands to be a curtain raiser to the men's state of origin match all part of the effort by AFL headquarters to raise money for communities affected by this summer's bushfires. Bushfires that we know were made worse by climate change. Now, on the surface of things, it would appear that the footballing body understands and is concerned about the impacts of climate change. In fact, on one of the AFL's websites, it lists its Green Clubs program, encouraging grassroots football clubs to show community leadership on this important issue. It begs the question, though, why the AFL's so-called inspirational competition, the AFLW, is taking money from and promoting a company in the fossil fuels industry. AFL General Manager of Commercial Kylie Rogers even admits that association with the purpose of the AFLW has a halo effect of positive sentiment in market. When the AFL's own Green Club's webpage states... Football clubs have been among the first to experience the impacts of climate change. Why then would the AFLW want to give positive sentiment to an industry that contributes significantly to the problem? It appears this weekend, when the AFLW is patting communities affected by climate change on the back with one hand, they're taking a lump of coal and slapping them in the face with the other. Our cited question of the week this week is, is it hypocritical for the AFLW to give its halo effect to a fossil fuels company? Vote now at warfradio.com. And joining us on the line now here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival from the Two Crows Podcast. It's great to have our Sanford W reporter in Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I am doing fabulous, Peter. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on the line and looking at the Sanford Women's Competition for Round 2, three blowouts and one thriller. Yes, it, it was all happening until it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we have all the games were a goer on the weekend. Well, let's first of all have a look at the first game that was played at High Sense Stadium on uh, the Friday night. Uh, West Adelaide at home, Richmond Oval. Big winners over the Bays, Glenelg, 6-12-48 to 1-2-8. Yeah, Westie's getting up there by 40 points, if you don't mind. Basically, a bloodbath at Highsense Oval. They led it every change, with the Tigers only managing a solitary goal in the second quarter from basketball convert Savara Moon. So great for her. Melanie Elsford is continuing her form from last week, kicking three goals straight with Rochelle Martin lighting it up with 21 disposals, four tackles and five clearances. Uh, not much else I can really add in there for the Tigers, I'm afraid. Um, the goals are for West, Elsford three and singles to McDermott, Venning and Culhane. Tigers, as previously mentioned, Moon with one. But the team stats, not, dis- not surprisingly, uh, disposals and kicks, well, everything except disposal efficiency, tackles, hit-outs and rebound 50s belong to the West and the rest um, going to the Tigers in the positive. The best for the West, Martin, Greer, Ballard, Tuckerman, and an honorary mention to Olivia Smith, who had a game-high 13 tackles. But the Mel Packer, Armitage and Cone were the best for them. If the Westies had kicked straighter, the Tigers' percentage would have copped an even bigger hammering. Westies sit at 2-2 with great early form, and the Tigers will need to call an elevator because they need a big lift. 
at Flinders University Stadium on Friday night. The reigning premiers, the Panthers, went whack against the double blues of Sturt. 5-13-43 to 1-3-9. Yeah, 34-point, another one of those blowouts that you mentioned before there. Uh, Panthers keeping their premiership hopes well on track. And the double blues should really count their lucky stars that the Panthers were kind to them in front of goal, or they would have been called the triple blues by the end of the night. Um, interestingly, the Blues actually led the game at quarter time, but then the likes of the guns of Charlton and Meyer rang right, along with a big game from first-year player Courtney Barry, who had herself 20 disposals and a fantastic 10 tackles and 9 clearances, while Jess Kirk continued her good form in front of the big sticks, kicking three. Bevan, as always, battled hard and with Prenzler for support for the Double Blues, uh, but it wasn't enough to stop the Panther Express. The goals there for South, three for Kirk, Haylock and Meyer singles with Sturt Harris one. For the team stats there, South, it's an incredible discrepancy there. Disposals 234 to 168. Uh, kicks, handballs, another big discrepancy, 106 to 52. You can see the type of game plan there that the Panthers are using. In test of March scoring accuracy, clearances they whacked them 26 to 16. And inside 50 is a massive 32 to 10. For Sturt, though, they got up there with disposal efficiency. Marks, they led the way with 44 to 30. Tackles and rebound 50s, obviously, because it was spent a lot of time down the Panthers end, 25 to 9. The best for South, Tia Charlton, Courtney Barry, Talia Meyer and Haylock. For Sturt, Bevan, Prenzler and Richter, becoming the usual suspects. South are sitting at 2-2. And Sturt, well, let's say they'll be hitchhikers because they're looking for a lift next week. At Hisense Stadium as part of the double header, the second game was a nail biter. Woodville West yeah. Torrens, 4 5 29, just going down to Norwood, 4 6 30. Oh, a solitary point there. The bridesmaids are getting closer. Four points last week, one point this week. The Eagles could not be more ready to take home the win this season. The Red Legs are happy to take home the win, though, after holding the Eagles scoreless in the final quarter. And it was really only accuracy and a sense of theatre that got in the way of letting that blow out a bit more in the final quarter. Big had a big game. Yes, I did that on purpose. Sealing the win was under a minute on the clock. Northern Territory recruit Matea Breed impressed on her debut. If you don't mind, 21 disposals, five tackles and four clearances. Jamie Tab led the way for the Eagles. And also, just to let you know, Crow's uh, beast mode, Rhiannon Metcalf made a successful return to football after rupturing her ACL last year. For the goals there, Norwood, Hill 3 and Big 3, Lee 3 and Zekovic 1. For the team stats, Norwood, well, pretty reflective of the game. Disposals, kicks, handballs, inside 50s and rebounds. The biggest difference being the tackles, where the Eagles made a massive 87-52. to 52. Marks and were Norwood, 36-19. to 19. The best for Norwood, well, uh, Leah Cutting got out there with 24 hitouts and 6 tackles. Breed, Armstead and Smith. And the Eagles, Tab, Walker, Lee and Cavallaro. Norwood get on the board for their first win and the Eagles edge closer ever. And Matea Breed is also, just to let you know, her first game in and she's also this week's Powerade Breakthrough Player for Round 2. If you don't mind, Norwood would be very happy taking home the points. And in the sole game on Saturday, Central District Bulldogs... One one seven, no match for Chrissy Steen's North Adelaide Roosters. Nine seven sixty one. No, the Steen train is really well and truly left the station, and it's only round two. So fifty four point winners there to North Adelaide. So the Roosters are on an early season rampage, stitching up the tides by twenty two last week, and tearing the dogs apart by fifty four points this week. 
Ash Woodland dominated up front. And last week's Powerade breakthrough player, Hannah Ewing, continued her fine form. And highlighted by a nice tackle and a goal from the resulting free kick. Caitlin Rosenswire managed the only major for the dogs. Daniel and Castle also outstanding in the demolition job. Madigan, Sonneman and Stewart battled bravely for the dogs. And coach Chrissy Stein, as you mentioned, would be very, very happy with the start to the season. For the dogs, as mentioned, in solitary goal there to Rosenswide, the Roosters, Woodland, four, Reynolds, two, Castle, Daniel and Ewings with singles. For the team stats, basically for the dogs, tackles and rebound 50s, the rest, North dominated, especially kicks, handball ratio here of 94 to 41, marks 55 to 39 and inside 50s, 36 to 22. The best for the dogs, Madigan, Sonneman, Murphy and Stewart. For North, Daniel, just want to mention her, 23 disposals, 7 tackles and 6 clearances. Castle, Wooden with her magnificent four, Ewings and Dorsey. The Roosters are perched up high on top of the ladder with a healthy percentage, while the dogs lift their wounds and prepare for next week. Let's look ahead now to round three. All games being played on the Saturday. The standalone game at the ex-convenience Oval sees Central District versus Glenelg. Yes. Uh, well, is that the doggies' home? So I'm actually going to pick the doggies here, even though I had a little look at their stats. And literally for the win-loss ratio against each other head-to-head, it's actually 50-50. But I'm back in the dogs at home. Then we have a triple header at the home of the Panthers at Flinders University Stadium. We begin with North Adelaide versus West Adelaide. Yeah, this one, interestingly, I looked at their head-to-head and actually uh, Westies lead 60% to the 40% for the Roosters. But I think the Roosters will... Um, Chrissy Steen's old stomping ground for South Adelaide and I'm pretty sure the Roosters will come up crawling at the end of that game. In the second game of the triple header, Woodville West Torrens versus Sturt. Yeah, now this one here, both teams battling, and I think the Eagles, after all their hard work in the first two rounds, are going to pay dividends, and I'm going to pick them for the win. And interestingly enough, head-to-head, these teams are sitting at 50-50. Pretty even, but Eagles deserve the win. And in the final game of the triple header, South Adelaide versus Norwood. Yeah, um... Panthers at home, I think you've got to back them in. Although, again, head-to-head, Redlegs are 66% winners um, against the 33 of the Panthers. But as the Panthers say, it only matters if you win the last game at the end of the year, and I'll back the Panthers in from there. And, of course, Ali, where can people find your Two Crows podcast? Yeah, you can find us at Two Crows Footy or at Two Crows Podcast, hashtag Two Crows Footy. Uh, listen in on Podbean, iTunes and all the usual suspects, Insta, etc., 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 Peter. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we take a look back at another round of Sanford women's football. Thank you very much, Peter. Coach Kiwi's kiss of death is still to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks. Footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? 
then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile, Sweet Kicks Football. And now here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. It's time for everyone's favourite segment. Thanks to the Sweet Kicks Football Academy, it is Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. How are you, Coach Kiwi? Hello, hello. I'm very good, thank you. And gee, what another round of some awesome football, wasn't that? And before we get into that, another string to your coaching bow, not only coaching the midfield for Collingwood's VFLW side this year, but you're also taking on the coaching rates at the Fitzroy Stars. Yeah, wow. How exciting is that? It's um, it's a full Indigenous program. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a new world around the football for me. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for it. We've got, we've got players. I met some of them that have come into Melbourne from... Broom from Perth. Um, there's one from Adelaide. There's one that's come down from Tiwi. So um, how exciting to bring all that together and um, create our own style of football. Um, I just can't wait. It's exciting. Let's have a look ahead to round four of the AFLW competition. Now, things are a little bit different with the Friday night game. It was originally going to be at Victoria Park. And then uh, a month ago when the bushfire relief match was announced, that'd be the men's state of origin between Victoria and the All-Stars, they've moved to be a double header. So Collingwood and Melbourne will kick off proceedings at 5.40pm on Friday at Marvel Stadium. Let's talk about the two sides coming into the clash. First of all, for Melbourne, not only a disappointing loss by five points to St Kilda, more injury concerns. Goldrick, their uh, Irish woman out with concussion. Uh, Maddie Gruen has done a knee for the Magpies uh, coming into this match. They, of course, went down to Fremantle by just four points, but they came out injury-free. Will Collingwood get back on the winner's board or will Melbourne pull something out of the fire if they can find a fit 21 players? Yeah, well, yeah, that is definitely the trouble for Melbourne, isn't it? The poor buggers there. Um, yeah, it was really sad to see um, Maddie go down for sure because she's um, a Darabin girl as well. So um, just a really good kid. But just any of them, to see another one go down with the season-ending injury is just so, so sad um, in such a short, short season. Um, probably Melbourne have probably ruined themselves a little bit. You know, one, one and eight is just, just not good enough there. They had some ball. They took it into the Ford 50, just unable to convert through the big sticks. And you really have to be able to do that. And they've got the quality players, without a doubt. And um, and I just love the way St Kilda took it to them and stuck in the game. And, um, you know, Tamara Luke on debut, gee, wasn't she outstanding on Cunningham? And um, and little Lily um, Tilly Lucas Rod, she had the most possessions for St Kilda in that game. So what a little pocket rocket she was. Um, but yeah, I think Melbourne Melbourne will pick themselves up. They've they've still got a couple of other healthy ones they haven't used yet. Um, one of them, Sydney girl Brianna Tarrant. So it'd be interesting to see how they go with that, or if they can um, now upgrade some of their players. Um, and and Collingwood, in the same regard, they've come from really really dominating that Fremantle game, and again, you know, didn't put it through the big sticks. They. Um, um, you know, they had, they had most of the possession, 
They dominated the clearances at half time. Hollywood were up 26, 20 to 6 in clearances and 24 to 5 in inside 50s, but just hadn't put enough on the scoreboard. And I think Frio changed it up the second half. Frio um, seemed to just come back and defend and defend and defend really, really well. And um, by full time, those stats, there wasn't a lot of change in Collingwood's favour. For inside 50s was 25 to 19. And um, clearances was only 31 to 20, uh, 34 to 21. So um, just sort of showed the pressure that Fremantle put on around the field as well. Um, and, yeah, I just think you know, Collingwood did dominate, just didn't get enough through the big sticks. And they'll be stoked with um, Jamie Lambert for sure. And the young Irish girl, Sarah Rowe, 22 possessions. That's pretty massive for, for um, mostly she plays off the wing or half-back line. Um, so it was really exciting to see that come along as well. And the uh, second week in a row, a goal from the other Irish woman in Ashlyn Sheridan. It's interesting to talk about Jamie Lambert. Many pundits are putting her on nine votes out of the uh, first three games, which means hypothetically she would be leading the W League award. Who knows what the uh, umpires are thinking? But um, she has a biggest test when it comes to this week, regardless of if Collingwood are going in favourites or not against Melbourne. She's coming up against a Melbourne engine room that did perform well last week despite the loss in Paxman, O'Day, and Madison Gay has been actually performing well. But, of course, we speak of Daisy Pearce, who, to be fair, is more performing as a half-back rather than a midfielder these days. Yeah, yeah, Daisy is um, yeah definitely coming off the half-back line. But those other three in the midfield, very, very strong and uh, certainly are doing a good job for the Demons. I think um, Jamie will still go okay. I reckon she'll still get probably, I think she's averaging something about 16 or 17 possessions a game at the moment. Um, and I, if you rewind the tape, I said at the beginning of the season, this is a name that people will start talking about. I just I just think she's gone under the radar a fair amount, but she's got talent to burn and um, certainly showed in the VFL season last year what she's capable of. And um, yeah, I'm sure she's going to have another ripper game on, on Friday night and um, you know, perhaps another goal or two. Shani Layton, is the All-Australian ruck spot hers to lose? <laughs> yeah, like, um, I'm not too sure how she'll be feeling about about the label so early, but certainly um, I've seen her around training and she trains extremely hard, working on her craft and learning this game. And um, it's awesome people are now noticing it, um, but awesome to see her on the end of a couple of goals now this season. So, uh and, and you just hear Sharni all over the place, whether it's at the field, I'm sure at the pubs, um, tra- training rooms, everywhere. She's just such a character for our game um, and good honour. So, um, yeah, keep. I, I'm hoping for her she keeps dominating that ruck area and um, just, yeah, continues to stake a claim for herself. So Melbourne and Collingwood, Friday twilight at Marvel Stadium. Who wins and by how much? Sorry, D supporters, I'm going to go Collingwood. And I'm going to go by three goals. Let's move along now to the QEO in Bendigo on Saturday. It is Richmond versus Geelong. This is a Conference A battle 
two sides that have had their woes to begin uh, the AFLW 2020 season. Let's first of all touch base with the Tigers. They, of course, played against uh, North Melbourne on Sunday, and boy, did they get run over in that second quarter. North Melbourne won 76-20. The only goals coming out of their two stars, and Sabrina Frederick and Katie Brennan, uh, both of them happening in the uh, third quarter. Uh, best players for Richmond, Conti, Campbell, Brennan, Monaghan, and Jackson. Jeez, Phoebe Monaghan has been solid for them across the half-back line. For Geelong, they lost at home to uh, Adelaide. Uh, they had goals coming out of Higgins, McWilliams, Boyd, Purcell, Cranston. Higgins named amongst the best as well as McMahon. Purcell has been consistent for them in the midfield as well as Jordan Ivey and the two McDonald's. Um, for my money coming out of this, I think Geelong have to go in as favourites. You know, they, they put up good performances against Brisbane and Adelaide and just lost. Yes, they got blown out by Fremantle, but that was over in WA. For Richmond, blown out by Carlton, blown out by North. Uh, Gold Coast got away from them. I just can't see a path to victory for the Tigers. Yeah, it's, um, it's um, dire sort of circumstances for Richmond right now, and they did come against a really polished North team, and for um, for years we talked about North being, you know, perhaps premier favourites. And I think in the weekend they actually showed what they're capable of. And um, for Richmond, it was really tough. Phoebe at the back line, boy, Monaghanomania came back, and um, in four she was she was superb for them and kept them in the game. And um, yeah, they're just not firing enough. I think the, the Richmond team, you know, Conti does a lot of work and, and even, you know, Katie Brennan got around the ground a bit. Um, it was good to see, um, a catch. She tried, she almost took a really awesome specky, just mistimed to jump, but boy, she can jump. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think for this Geelong, they had a good test against Adelaide. They pushed and pushed and pushed. They scored probably more goals than, um, than I've seen them scoring of recent times. Um, so yeah, I think Geelong would go in the favourites with this one, and and now with Meg Mack back as well, I think um, just bolsters that Geelong team, and you know that's another game playing with um, Nina Morrison getting a good run, and um, I just think yeah, this one Geelong's going to have the edge, and I'm going to give it to them by nine points. Let's go to our third game of the round, the second game on Saturday. It is the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos versus the Gold Coast Suns. This game being played at Arden Street Oval. And uh, as we said uh, just previously, North Melbourne did beat Richmond quite handsomely, 12-4-76. That's an accurate score versus 2-8-20. Uh, Caitlin Ashmore and Emma Carney both kicking three goals for North. Abby Green, Tasmanian kicking two goals. Daisy Bateman with two. Uh, Garner and Gillespie Jones also getting on the scoreboard. Ash Riddell, the player that no one wanted to pick up in the 2017 draft, despite being in the VFLW Team of the Year. Best on ground there for the Kangaroos. Garner, again, another great performance. Caitlin Ashmore, Emma Carney, uh, Talia Randall, the uh, uh, former Queenslander, uh, all firing for North Melbourne. For Gold Coast, who, of course, came off that draw against Brisbane, 4-4-28 apiece. Uh, Howarth kicked three goals, was named as their best player. Perry got on the scoreboard. Brajali, Dunn, Hewitt, uh, Lauren Arendt, who played VFLW football, and Jamie Stanton. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go with it this way. If the game was being played up at Metricon Stadium, I would have tipped north, but with en- not with any great certainty because I think the Gold Coast are a dangerous side up there on Metricon. However, down at Arden Street Oval, boy, oh boy, 
I, I feel for the Gold Coast Suns. I think we could be in for another big win for North. You know, I tend to agree with you. I think yeah, you'd certainly get a different Gold Coast team up at Metricon without a doubt. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's almost like I think it's half a dozen uh, superstars against about a dozen or a team and a half. I think it's, um, it, it is almost like a little bit of a mismatch in the experience and runs on the board already. And um, North Melbourne playing at Arden Street, it's, it's their home. It's where they train. Um, it's going to be a lovely Saturday afternoon match. Um, there's probably nothing that's going to go against North in this this match this weekend. And it's a shame for Gold Coast to come against probably the most polished and um, perfect surroundings and afternoon match and home and everything that will go North's favour. And I agree with you, I'm going to tip North Melbourne by 31 points. Let's go to our third game on the Saturday, fourth game over rules, and this is at Leaderville Oval in WA, the West Coast Eagles versus the Western Bulldogs. Both teams, of course, are Conference B teams. The Western Bulldogs went down to Carlton by 21 points in the Pride game. Goals to two good. Georgia Stathis, McLeod and Lamb. Uh, Ali Blackburn uh, named the best player for the Doggies in their loss, along with uh, Ashling McCarthy, the Irish woman, Brooke Lachlan, Gabby Newton, uh, Christy Lamb and uh, Bonnie Toogood. Uh, for the Eagles, they went down to Greater Western Sydney, uh, and they didn't actually score until the final quarter. Uh, 6-6-42 to 2-2-14. Uh, Bowen and Cameron, their goal kickers, named amongst their best. Dana Hooker, uh, Mara Cameron, uh, Emma Swanson, uh, Bowen and uh, Pereira. Great to see Chantal Pereira named amongst the uh, best players. The uh, Hawthorne uh, Grand Final, uh, best and fairest uh, from uh, 2018. I tell you what, this is an interesting one. Really, if you looked at the sides on paper... At a neutral venue, you go, the Bulldogs should have this. But the Bulldogs having to travel across to WA, I know the Eagles have been struggling to score, but I just got a feeling the Eagles on their home deck. Yeah, I think um, it is. I think this is going to be a close game. And um, the Eagles, they've shown, I think, in all their matches, even their practice match against Richmond, they're showing some real patches of brilliance and showing just, you know, there's some classy players amongst that team. And we all, we already knew about Emma Swanson and Dana Hookers, but it's the other ones like this, Amara Cameron. She's now averaging 15, I think 15 possessions a game. Um, and, you know, and you've got the other ones around that are really starting to stand up now and, and take some of the pressure off the better known players. I think they just need to perhaps link it together for a bit longer in the matches. It's um, it's almost like they put their foot on the pedal and then they let it off and, and just coast in neutral for a little bit. And that's when the opposition really um, takes them on and, and punishes them on the scoreboard. Um, they're, they're getting ball inside the inside 50 as well. They're just not converting um, often enough. I think their efficiency is, is down um, around about the 30s for inside 50 shots on goal. So that's probably an area that they need to work on a little bit this week. Um, and, you know, in the same regard, I guess Bulldogs would be disappointed in the way they played. They've got good players and um, perhaps let Carlton get at them a little bit too much on Friday. Oh, yeah, Friday night it was? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Saturday, yeah, the Pride game. And um, I think they've had two weeks now where they've sort of looked shaky. They, they came out 
with a burst in round one. And then the last couple of weeks have just looked a little bit shaky around the field. And um, just, you know, when they control the ball and send it forward, controlling it, they do really, really well. But then there's times they just get it and drop it straight to their boot. And it just seems to go forward with no direction. It gets picked off really, really well. And, um, and whether that's something to do with their new style of playing where it's just quick, quick move of the ball forward and, um, and not really play to the structures, which is a lot of the girls have spoken about is something that they enjoy doing. I just think they're not getting it quality enough ball going forward and, and that's really hit them a little bit. And I think coming up against West Coast at home, I think they'll be desperate for a win um, and certainly will, um, I think, lift, lift um, Bulldogs. Got a big travel to get all the way over there. So I'm going to go West Coast by seven points. So Sunday football, the 1st of March, the first game out of the three will be the Adelaide Crows versus Carlton, uh, being played at Richmond Oval, uh, the home of uh, West Adelaide. So a Conference A versus Conference B battled here, the Crows in A, the Blues in B. Both sides coming off a win. Um, Adelaide, uh, 8-1-49, defeated Geelong, 6-2-38. Ponta, Danielle Ponta, originally on the Essen list from a couple of years ago, four goals for the Crows. Biddle with two, Gore and Jones got on the scoreboard. Ebony Marinoff, first uh, player, or the fastest player to 250 tackles in the Aussie rules at the national level. Best on ground, Ponta, Hatchard, Najra Allen, Ange Foley, Jess Foley, all named amongst the best. For Carlton, uh, who won the Pride game, a 351 to 4630. Uh, three goals to Georgia G. Uh, Brazali, McAvoy, Harris, Avesio and Stevens all got goals. In the best, Matty Presspark is named best on ground, along with Lucy McAvoy. Lolofi, again, named amongst the best and maybe looking at an All-Australian spot. Uh, Harris, G, Egan and Vessio. It's an interesting one coming into this game. Uh, both sides a 2-1 and one record coming in. And this is the dangerous part. We always said that you need at least four wins in the bank to be at least considered to be going through to the next final stage. Five wins would get you there. Adelaide have got two already. And remember, we're still waiting for the impact of Courtney Cramey. We could be having Chloe Shear back. We could be having Erin Phillips back. They're talking that any moment now, Phillips' name could be read out. And if she's back in, holy tamole. Yeah, how exciting. And a home game too. Um, so, yeah, the grand final rematch, it's, um, it, it's probably going to build to be quite a big, solid crowd down at Richmond Oval as well. Um, Cramey, you know, will we'll have another match fitness under her belt. I think Rihanna Metcalf played in the local competition too. So um, perhaps she'll come into contention for selection this week. Erin um, Phillips, I, I'm sure she cannot be far away at all. Um, so, yeah, exciting for all Adelaide fans, without a doubt. Um, Carlton probably don't have the firepower to bring back in and will rely on that firepower they've had. And they've done some, you know, pretty good work around the, the game so far. It's, um, it's, I think this is going to be a really, really close match. And if Adelaide can control the footy and not resort to their panic football, which I think they've done the last two weeks, they've, they've kind of changed their game a little bit and, and resorted to this panic football, which hasn't really worked for them. Um, and, you know, especially last week, they did really well when they, again, controlled it. But when they just, um, through the midfield, just sort of kicked it in a just a blaze away kind of thing, rather than with any real direction, which there's, there's such a talented 
kicking kind of team. They've um, they just need to you know keep composure, and I think around the ground they're going to have um, they're going to have some dominance over the Carlton players, and I'm going to tip Adelaide by twelve. It'll be interesting to see who goes to uh, Taylor Harris. Um, I'm probably thinking it'll be Sarah Allen that will get the job because in the past it's always been Chelsea Randall. And as we know, Randall is missing this year with an ACL. Yeah, and um, I think Sarah's probably ready for the chart. Now, she's played some good football and she's really developed as a fullback over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, I don't know if she's given uh, Stacey Lewinstein a call during the week to grab some tips, but... She, um, yeah, I'd say she'd have the job on Taylor. Let's go across to the second game on Sunday, the six-match overall at RSCA Park, otherwise known as Moorabbin. Boy, is this one interesting. This is Conference B, St Kilda versus Fremantle. Fremantle at the moment chugging along beautifully, three and zip, but... All their games have been WA. This is the first time for them on the road. St Kilda, who are getting marginally better, marginally better. As we know, knocked off Melbourne after they uh, just squeezed the life out of them. This is an interesting battle. I think Fremantle would have to go in his favourites against the Saints. But, geez, I don't think they're going to have this one particularly easy. Coming out of Friday night's win, where the Saints won in the low-scoring one, 3-1-19 to 1-8-14. The G-Train, choo-choo! Two goals for Caitlin Greiser. Guthrie's also got a goal. Greiser was named best on ground, along with Tilly Lucas Rod, Ree Watt, Vesely, Guthridge, and Drennan. No injuries coming out of that game as well for the Saints, which is very important for Fremantle. They also had no injuries coming out of their game. Rue, Ebony, Antonio, Sharp, uh, Sullivan, and Flood uh, got on the goals kickers list. Uh, best players, Seth Miller, Stanette, Stewart, Bowers, Rue, and Pugh. Do you agree? Is is Fremantle a favourite going into this, but this may be tighter than a lot of people are expecting? I do agree, actually. Yes, I think um, I think Freo are playing some really good football and uh, I don't think the travel will impact that all that much. Uh, St Kilda, this is their third match at this field, so they've gone there, they've had the new surroundings and the new game and the big lockout crowd. Then they've backed it up and they've had their first win at the game. So this is just going to be a regular, ordinary match um, for them in a way. Um, they're, they're playing the good football around the ground. They're actually all rising and playing um, a quality team team game. But their defence, I'm, I'm presuming Tamara Luke will hold her spot. Um, Rosie Dillon and Tilly Lucas-Rod, they've proven that they can take on some really good forwards. And against the Roxy Roos and the um, Sabrina Duffy's there, you know, it's going to be a really good matchup this weekend. I um, I think the way that Kiara Bowers is just firing through the midfield is probably have enough of an edge to um, nullify some of that attack from St Kilda. And, yeah, I just think Frio will have the edge this weekend and I'm going to give it to them by 14 points. So let's turn our attention to the final game of the round. It is, of course, uh, between the Brisbane Lions and the GWS Giants at Hickey Park. This is a conference, a battle. This, in fact, is first versus third in Conference A. For the Lions, a chance to edge ever so closely to guaranteeing a final spot. For GWS, a must-win game because right behind them 
on percentage is the Adelaide Crows, and they will be sweating that. Um, for the Lions, of course, they came off uh, after a draw against uh, Gold Coast, 4-4-28 apiece. Uh, Lug kicked two goals. Wardlaw and Conway got on the goal kicker sheet. Uh, Lutkins was named uh, the best player on ground for the Lions, along with Bates, Grider, Anderson, Dawes, and Arnell. For the uh, GWS Giants, who took care of business against uh, the Eagles, 6-6-42-2-2-14, Privatelli, Three goals. Fantastic effort from her. Stoughton, Barclay and Zarika on the scoreboard. Named amongst the best. Parker, Beeson, Privatelli, Bennett, Barclay, Eva and Staunton. You would have to think home ground advantage will be playing a big part there for the Lions. But how are the Lions coming off maybe a flat performance against Gold Coast? Because they didn't score in the final quarter. So that could get into their head. Even though, to be fair, Craig Starcevich wasn't coaching. He was uh, ill and wasn't able to take his role for the day. The GWS Giants have got to be buoyant after a, a comfortable win against the Eagles. Yeah, I think this is going to be quite an interesting match. It's, um, it is almost like the grudge match between um, the two northeastern states, really. Um, for some reason, in the, in the practice game, GWS dominates their lines and... Um, took over some really big scores. And then when it comes to the end-season games, the Lions do the reverse back to the Giants. So um, it, it's really interesting how these two go against each other. Uh, the Giants, I think, their forward line, you know, with, with Cinder Barkley back, boy, how exciting was she? And her tackle pressure that she provided as a forward was just phenomenal throughout the game in the weekend. And um, while she didn't get on the scoreboard, she just contributed in so many other ways. And, you know, put her alongside the likes of Bonner and Privatelli and um, even Ingrid Nielsen when she got forward. That's a really super handy forward line. And, you know, great to see Cora coming up. She, you know, she fell to the ground at one point and clutched that leg. And I was like, oh, I hope it's not, you know, <laughs> something serious for that, that double break that she had. But she got up and carried on. Um, she's a bit of a tough nut, she is. Um, yeah, I think I think for Giants, their worry is going to be they're sitting at around about 60-60% in efficiency. And when they go to um, their inside 50, they're only sitting at 57%. So uh, that's probably the area with the sort of star power on their forward line. They really need to polish that up uh, to, to really make most of, you know, Privicelli's marking from everywhere and kicking some really good goals. And then you've got the small players like Hicks and Jerika coming in. So um, that's probably the area they need to clean up the most is, is just their efficiency around the ground. Because if you look at their back line, I think Lou Stevenson's sitting at around about 80% efficiency at the moment, which is pretty massive um, as an average. And um, Hetherington's up around about 76 or 78%. So their back line are playing, you know, some clean football, just getting the ball forward. You've just We just need to be a little bit weak. Giants need to be a little bit cleaner getting getting um, forward. And, and, you know, I think in the reverse is, or in the flip is, is that Brisbane coming off that draw will probably rue that they didn't do enough to get the um, to get the win in the end. And they've played some really good football and they've dominated some solid um, quarters in their first three matches. So um, Brisbane at home, I think, are just going to have the edge over the Giants. And I just think, you know, I'm hoping Giants to win, but I really think Brisbane are going to have the edge, and um, I'm going to give it to Brisbane by eight points. 
Let me just talk about how critical this game is for both sides going forward as well. For the Brisbane Lions after this match in round five, they then have to go on the road to play Fremantle. After that, they then back up with a home game against Collingwood. So two sides currently in form before finally uh, meeting uh, Richmond in round seven. But then they meet the Kangaroos in round eight. So things are about to get very tough for the Brisbane Lions. And if they drop a game here, that could hurt. For the GWS Giants, if they win then all of a sudden they've got Richmond the week afterwards. So all of a sudden, two wins in the bank and they've almost got a spot secured in the finals. Then they play the Adelaide Crows in round six, which is a traditional eight-point match. Beat the Crows, you're in the finals, and you probably knock the Crows out of the uh, top three. Lose, and then all of a sudden they've then got to beat uh, Geelong in the run home and then the Western Bulldogs. So... This game could decide the finals' fate of both of these sides, despite it being first and third at this moment. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, you know, I don't think you want to be in um, in GWS's sort of position to finish off playing against Bulldogs at home um, and, and Geelong, who I think are just getting better week in, week out. They're just improving all the time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one for them if they don't get the win this week to finish off and have a spot in the top four. Um, but, yeah, I think um, probably Brisbane have probably proven enough that they've, they've got what it takes to stay near the top of their ladder. Um, but, yeah, they'll probably be mindful that next week is a tough, is a very tough match. And, um, you know, per, perhaps Frio are now, um, you know, potential grand finalists. So it's... Um, certainly something that Brisbane may consider next week. But I think, you know, this week they'll look at what what they've done well against Giants in the past and um, and what they do well against other teams. And I, I think they'll bring that into this game. And uh, I think Lions are gonna, just going to have the – they're just going to have the, the extra up at home. And, of course, Kiwi, before we let you go, people can find you on the Coat Hanger Footy Show. Just search all your favourite podcast platforms and search for the Coat Hanger. And also, where can they find you at the Sweet Kicks Football Academy? Uh, I do have a website now. We do have a Facebook page. Um, and the website is just sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au and um, has all the contact information. And uh, Facebook, sometimes we have photos of some of the fun stuff that we do. Coach Kiwi, thanks for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. As always, it is a pleasure, Pete. Talk to you soon. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival for yet another week. This program airs Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app and is available for download via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and the iHeartRadio website and app. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just Search for WARF Radio and our website at WARFradio.com. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.